So stay-at-home dad in the midst of a pandemic with two jobs. What's that like? <laughs> well, having a coworker that is almost three and a coworker that's almost five months, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting situation. But especially, oh, I'm sorry, keep going. I was going to say especially oh. with two parents that are working full-time jobs. Two parents that are working two full-time jobs. It is a lot. Uh, the however is it's really kind of been interesting and kind of nice just getting to spend so much time with my daughters because, you know, if we were working normally in an office, uh, I wouldn't be spending this much time with them. And it's kind of, you know, really nice to have while still being able to get work done. True. Now that's obviously more difficult on some days than others. Uh, do you think once things sort of move, well, first off, I guess, what do you think normal is going to look like when this is all over? Do you think, do you see it going back to, to going to an office five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week, or do you, do you see it being a lot more flexible and you're spending more time at home with your, with your kids while you're working? Well, I know for us, it's going to be a lot more flexible just because it's, it's efficiencies, right? And I think we've been seeing this a lot with, um, you know, a lot of different businesses out there that it's you don't have to be in the office all the time uh you know to be productive you know oh we have an office so we have to be in the office from 9 a.m until 5 p.m it's not the end of the world if you're not there every single day at those hours right if you have an office that you are able to downsize because you're able to go a hybrid model moving forward and you're not spending as much money on an office space what can you reallocate that money to? People. And what's going to eventually bring you the bigger return? An office space or talent? And I think that's a question that a lot of people are really starting to ask themselves. Uh, you know, some people obviously are stuck with leases. It just so happened that we had our lease end uh, at the end of November. So we were able to get into a, a new space, which is really exciting. And, um, you know, it's kind of it's a tough situation right now, obviously everywhere, but the efficiencies that people are seeing in a virtual world seem like they should be here uh, in some way, shape or form for the foreseeable future. Well, I guess, what is the point of an office? Cause I do agree that investing in talent is way more important than investing in office space or something that doesn't offer returns. Uh, if you, if you invest in talent, you're going to see returns, whether it be in retention or uh, client acquisition. Uh, an office space, it's just where you go to work, where you go to concentrate. And what we've been seeing a lot is those who have been lucky enough to keep their jobs have adapted to working from home to a point where I wonder what the transition back to an office would look like and would there be so, sort of a lag because it would be a similar transition to, to working at home. You've, you've fallen into your regular routines uh, as you would. There, there certainly is an elasticity of, uh, of change um, and in any elasticity of change, I guess I should say, in, in that if things go back to normal, I imagine that there would be a resistance to returning to the offices because we've found ways to make our current circumstances more efficient. I think yes. I think it's also, I think it's a yes and no, because not every job is going to be virtual capable you know we've seen it there are jobs and there are businesses that have been shut down because they just don't have the capabilities to be virtual 
Uh, could be the tax not there. It could also be just the yeah, like a restaurant's not going to be virtual now. Commander's Palace in New Orleans has done a good job uh, maintaining well, people are pivoting some relevance by doing their wine their weekly wine and cheese night where they deliver uh, wine and cheese to those who sign up, and then they do a a, a Zoom sort of presentation on the wine that you're consuming and the cheese that you're that you're eating as well. But obviously, restaurants and and those kinds of businesses that require people to be in a physical location haven't been able to adapt. I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, you're good. I mean, the other thing though, too, is the, the pivot with curbside, the pivot with, you know, delivery and takeout of restaurants that traditionally might not have been doing that stuff. You know, that's what we've really had to figure out in this, you know, pandemic situation. But, you know, as far as an office space goes, it's, it's definitely necessary to a certain extent, even like, for service industry and it it's beneficial because you're going to meet with your clients there you know every not all the time some people are really enjoying the virtual zoom meetings and all that uh but it's flexibility and being in person though it is nice you know actually getting to see somebody you know having a cup of coffee having a pastry uh sitting down at a table and going over things in person it is a different feeling than being on zoom even if you're able to, you know, see them in real time, even if you're able to share your screen with them, it's, you know, it's just a little bit different, right? And I think having an office space, it's going to have that place uh, just from the standpoint of people are going to want to come back together at some point when we're able to again, right? So, we're going to have to have a space where we can still meet with people. It's just not, you know, we don't need the Vatican fountain in our office lobby. Well, I guess my question now is, uh, is an office more for the clients or more for the team that's working together, wanting to have a common place to meet? And do you think that this current, that this new landscape of work and efficiencies is more beneficial for product-based companies or or service-based companies? Because you, you, you mentioned services in your uh, last response. I'm curious which one you think was able to pivot a little better. I, I know personally, uh, just take a look at Shopify and how much it's grown as well as uh, streaming services for, for uh, creative independence. Uh, products, I feel like, have almost been thriving in this new virtual landscape, whereas services, which requires that human-to-human contact, have been have had to do a bit more adapting oh absolutely and i mean if you take a look to it if you look at things like youtube right which have basically always been virtual it's a virtual space where you're going to go and create your content share it with an audience who you are most likely never going to meet Uh, the however is other businesses are seeing an opportunity there too and with those businesses, I totally lost my train of thought on YouTube. Uh, but with the pivoting, right? What were we talking about? We were talking about pivoting. Yeah, uh, p- pivoting is an office for the clients or for... That's the- it. Yep. And I think, you know, for the clients, it's nice because even if you give them the option and even if you see them like in person once out of the year and then the rest of the times you see them, it's virtual. Uh, you know, it might be a phone call, it might be a Zoom meeting, depending on what they want to do. And then for the staff, though, I think it is nice having that space where you can all get together in person. 
Uh, because again, Zoom is one thing. And if you're a team that is spread out across the globe and you're in one of those businesses that you know really does have a big footprint just based on their um, you know, makeup with the people that work for them, because there are a lot of virtual companies that are spread out like that. I mean, look at a thing like WordPress, right? They started virtual and across an ocean and it really worked well. Um, but that's not going to be for everybody. And being able to, you know, be in person with a team, it's accountability, but it's also just having that whole, um, you know, physical connection, I guess, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? No, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I, I do think that synergy is, is a real thing, uh, thriving together in an office space with the team to, uh, to advance through conflicts that arise or problems that arise is a real thing because uh, communication is key. And no matter how advanced technology gets, um, it'll never be as efficient as a face-to-face -face interaction because there's just too many uh, – just, just sort of instant, like unspoken forms of communication that can completely dominate a conversation when you're in the same room with someone. You can sense the overall energy, the posture, uh, the the tone, just just every, all of the small idiosyncrasies that that make us human uh, when when you're in person together, and that can really power through a problem that you just don't get through uh, tech any form of technology based communication. So I do see an office always existing i'm just curious what the future looks like i i gotta say the i don't future know. looks like pants how, how, how so like i i can tell from your tone oh. the joke but i don't get yeah. it yeah no it's just i mean that's the other thing about virtual right is how many people are actually wearing pants when they're on zoom oh fair you know, i mean you, you I, basically see collarbone and up and i was actually just uh there was a program the other day about this virtual way of doing business with legal implications. And things like notarization was a big topic that was being talked about here. And the whole thing with being virtual is stuff you don't even think about, where you have this virtual background on Zoom, right? The Bills were playing in the division championships and they won, that's awesome, right? And a lot of people had Buffalo Bills virtual backgrounds which is great people are showing their support it's fun you know people get to see these backgrounds and you know get excited about the game and you know brings people together but at the same time that virtual background you cannot see what's going on in that room and there might be other people in that room that you don't see and if it's something like a legal thing if it's something that is confidential or there's some personal information going on it could potentially be a problem. So, you know, things that you don't always necessarily think about with that. I mean, you just took an exam and you had to walk your uh, webcam around the entire room to show that there was nobody in there. Yeah, that so, was stressful as hell. I told you about that experience. It took me three proctors before I could finally get this fucking ex freaking exam going. Um, because the one proctor made me even unplug the television with them watching the whole time. And I actually unplugged the internet. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's stuff like that. Right. And, and there is a disconnect because we see each other on screen. And I mean, there was a movie about that too. It was, uh, it was Bruce Willis. 
and I forgot the name of the movie. It was when like the whole big post-apocalyptic thing in the sci-fi style was happening. And it was, he was a cop. It wasn't RoboCop, but it wasn't Fifth Element? They had, no, it wasn't Fifth Element either. He, man, he does a lot of sci-fi cop movies. Um, but this one, it was interesting because they have like, uh, not cyborgs, but stand-ins. And everybody stays at home. You know, it's a pandemic, so we're kind of used to that now. But everybody stays home, and they plug into their VR rigs <laughs> and their little um, avatar gets up and goes out and does all the business and everybody's safe in their houses. Uh, and God, it makes me think that Ready Player One was not as unique or profound as the advertising made it. Oh. Ready Player Ready. I, I liked Ready Player One, the book. I didn't mind Ready Player One, the movie. Ready Player Two was not good in, in, in any way. <laughs> no, I didn't read it. Um, I really haven't been looking that forward to it, honestly. Uh, the first one I was really excited about, I did really enjoy the movie. Uh, well, some of the movie. Uh, I thought they really adapted it pretty well, but yeah, it's, I, I don't know what the hell we were talking about, but Ready Player One. <laughs> well, you, you were talking about Bruce Willis um, plugging into a rig and going. Oh yeah. And it's like, right, you're not connected, right? Everybody's just kind of there and, you know, you're kind of drifting through, but nobody's really in touch with anything. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, w one of the things I'm actually a little curious about right now, with the, with, with the way that the pandemic has gone, is I've seen a few of my friends with kids in primary school talking about how their their children have been thriving in this virtual environment. Part of it's because they're getting this extra attention that you don't normally get in school. Um. I'm I'm curious how if and how virtual education is going to be adapted to future curriculums because it, it's every child learns differently and it's clear that there are a population of students that are thriving right now in this, in this environment. And it, they, they should not necessarily have to, uh, I mean, obviously you don't want to like say they can stay home and, and study while others can't, but uh, you, you want to make sure that they keep capitalizing on education and, and moving in the direction they're going in right now and not, not necessarily have them take a step back with their learning process. Yeah. I mean, it, it's tough right now with virtual learning because it was done so quickly. I mean, schools really had to shift very fast with everything happening. And it was not the smoothest rollout in a lot of places. We had some openings, then they were shut down again. They opened again, they shut down again. And then they went virtual and you had some people that were you know, teachers were going into the school to be virtual with their kids who were home. Uh, now I know they're talking about being virtual in school where everybody's kind of in school, but people don't move classrooms. So you're basically just locked in that classroom all day. Um, but it's, I mean, it's a pandemic. We never lived through this before. And I think the development in the kids is great. I think something that's a little bit tougher is the socialization for the younger ones. And for things like daycare, you know, you're dealing with um, 
you're dealing with stuff where I lost my train of thought, but yeah, under two, right? Under two years old, you don't have to wear a mask because it's just not part of it. And uh, it's, it's weird. Well, my question. It's not weird, yeah. Well, I mean, my question is, like you said, we, we've never gone through anything like this before. So we have no idea what works and what dis- doesn't and what long-term impacts are. I really can't tell what would be better for a child with socialization, whether it be for them to, to keep studying at school at home and having parents be responsible for the socialization of, of their child based on their specific medical needs, obviously high risk parents being more careful that, than lower risk parents um, versus sending kids to school and having them be trapped in a classroom uh, w- with a group of students all day and, and having teachers come in virtually or, or have one teacher there t- teaching multiple lessons. I, it, it's really difficult. It's a, re- it's a really difficult uh, situation to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the vaccine rolls out and how that moves forward. But, you know, it, it's a tough call for a lot of parents, too. And even parents that are working virtually that have been, you know, uh, uh, fortunate enough to continue working throughout this whole pandemic, it's not an easy situation uh, by any means. Because, yeah, it's great having the kids with you and you get to hang out and you get to you know spend time with them and that's really fantastic the big however is there's also a lot of difficulty with with dealing with all that with kids because you know it's not like if your kid is shrieking all of a sudden and if both parents have to do something for work and they're both on like phone calls or zoom TV not isn't necessarily going to help that in any way, shape, or form. So it's it's just weird. I mean, it sometimes it kind of feels like too we're living in like the year right before that post-apocalyptic novel you're reading started, and you get glimpses of the backstory. Like, here's what happened leading up to the apocalypse. Yeah, it's like we're we're in Mr. Robot right now. I haven't finished that second. I watched the first season and then it took like a hiatus or something. I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the first, I'm almost done with the first yeah. season right now, but you can like, it, it gives me it. Mr. Robot definitely gives me like the, um, five years before cyberpunk takes over vibes. Yeah. Hopefully it's not cyberpunk 2077. Cause that's way too many glitches that would be happening in real life. Yeah, that, that's what we're modeled after. More, more, more like uh, altered carbon in the matrix. But as far as uh, everything else is concerned right now, we talked about work, we talked about office space, and we talked about children's education. I guess the last thing I want to talk about with the transition of what the new normal looks like and, and what this current st- unique struggle of adapting to, to, to a new normal looks like, uh, last topic I want to talk about is college education right now in this pandemic first off obviously the schools that were total jerks and charging full tuition for uh online classes that that thankfully got taken care of quickly i believe but other than that the, the students that are graduating and entering the workforce in a pandemic after going into all of this debt uh hiring practices of companies uh, obviously companies have 
been able, companies that have been able to survive have have had to make do. Some have actually found ways to be more efficient in the in the current circumstances, and it maybe had to change what sort of employees they're looking for. I know when I look online, I've been seeing a lot more people posting uh, resumes for things like virtual assistants and, the, and things like that. Do you think that as far as finding new work online, the the jobs that they're looking for? are going to be changing at all, the jobs just aren't going to be there, or the workforce itself is just going to change based on the needs, uh, the unique needs of the current employee, uh, of, of the current professional landscape. I think we could definitely see a shift in workforce. I mean, even before this pandemic, it was all talk about we're training the next generation to do jobs that we don't even know what they are yet right? Exactly. And, yeah. and I don't think that's changed. And it, it's really interesting what we're going to be seeing, especially with stuff that's been going on, like the gig economy, which has been so prevalent in this younger generation's livelihoods. It's, it's kind of going to be weird just seeing how that plays out with the gig economy essentially being completely shut down because um, that's really where we're at right now i mean people aren't gigging because there's just <laughs> it's just not there yeah i mean right now from what i've been seeing uh, obviously uh contract work and freelance has gone through the roof. And then also a lot of individuals have been able to make careers uh, through, through creativity uh, mm -hmm. by capitalizing on this growing resource of attention online. A, a lot of, um, a lot of creators have been able to, to generate decent income. Savvy, uh, my friend, Savvy from, from Savvy Writes Books on YouTube is able to pay off her mortgage every month right now with YouTube. So, so yeah. there has been a growing uh, sort of diversification of income for, for small creators, for, for, for creative types who wanted to go out there and, and capitalize on this new wealth of unaffiliated attention. However, the more traditional forms of employment, it, it, I mean, it's, it's tough to talk about this in an optimistic light because unemployment is on the rise and we still, we just don't know. I can say, I, I know I'm struggling to find words right now. I can say that we will obviously adapt eventually to any circumstance. That's just the nature of humans. However, we're still not in that phase where we have fully adapted. And as the vaccine rolls out, the landscape is going to change all over again. And it's a question of what employment status is going to look like and what jobs are going to be available and what the, the responsibilities of those jobs will even be. You said it yourself, right now we're currently uh, looking for trying to fill jobs that we don't even know we need to have filled yet and training for jobs that don't even exist yet. It's an interesting time, that's for sure. And obviously with changes happening, you know, in the administration on Washington, it, we're gonna see new priorities coming out. Uh, probably gonna be seeing more with things like renewables. And I mean, before, you know, the last administration, uh, windmill tech, that was the job in energy. And, you know, looking at, things like the automobile industry 
and what they had going on before this administration came in, uh, getting those green regulations that they spent millions and millions and millions of dollars on to get back up to speed. And then the regulations were essentially tossed out and they didn't want to change back because they already invested. So moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see, especially now that we're seeing like the science uh, advisor, what, what's the position? I'm blanking on the position, but there's going to be a science um, officer basically in the cabinet uh, of the president, which is really interesting because uh, science is going to be a big piece of what's moving forward. And with the jobs coming out, we always talk about STEM and education right now. And even in toys, in toy sales, what are they selling? They're selling STEM. And it's toys that you can learn with that are also really fun and make these toy companies a buttload of money. Uh, that is the official term, buttload of money. Look it up in the dictionary. <laughs> but I mean, that that's kind of where we are right now is that there are big changes on the horizon and looking forward, seeing the advances in technology that we've had over the last, you know, hundred some odd years and the rate that we keep moving at. I mean, you remember when things got smaller and smaller with cell phones on Zoolander, how, you know, he had his tiny little flip phone, right? And then, yeah, and then in Zoolander 2, uh, he pulled out his tiny little flip phone, and then the kid said, oh, that's such a cute phone. Can I take a picture of it with mine? And he pulled out a tablet. And that's it, right? And now things are getting bigger, and screens are getting bigger, and it's, you know, more computing power. And everything that we do, it's just getting closer to that next stage of whatever the heck it's going to be. And we're going to need people to do whatever the heck it is to keep us rolling you know, making pod racers and, you know, hoverboards. Which I personally can't wait for, at least on the hoverboard front, the pod racer still isn't for me. I mean, there's only one successful human pod racer and he turned out to be Vader. Yeah. He was also kind of annoying in that movie, but, uh, we did get Darth Maul out of it. So, yeah. and we did get Qui-Gon Jinn. I mean, come on, Liam Neeson was awesome. Yeah, and we also became familiar with uh, trade deals in the Galactic Empire. What are Our kids going to love to see in a movie? Should we do more lightsaber fights? No. Let's make Senate negotiations and trade embargoes. Hey, I mean, looking back on it, there, there was a lot to like in that prequel trilogy. Just didn't fully click. <laughs> Thank goodness Dave Filoni came in and took that prequel trilogy and made it something spectacular with the Clone Wars. Um, but yeah, at least there were positives to find in that. I still, I, and you know, I'm a diehard Star Wars fan. I still have yet to fully finish The Rise of Skywalker. I just can't get through it. It's just so, so bad. Um, See, I didn't like it, but I had no issue getting through it because it was so fast paced. Like, I don't know how you could stop and, and not finish it. Honestly, because it was just like cringy and it was just like, I'll either just stop it or I'll fast forward through a bunch of this. Like it, it, it was, it was a trilogy in a, a single movie right there. Cause they, they put so much effort into erasing what they deemed damage in the last jedi um, god i love that 
<laughs> the freaking map dagger lined up with the wreckage of the Death Star because they just knew reasons, how it was going to break. Right? They knew how it was going to break. They knew how it was going to fall through the atmosphere upon burning up and crash landing in the water. And then they had this dagger. And it's like, what the hell is wrong with you? You teased this dagger and everybody immediately thought, this is Mortis. This is the father, the son, and the daughter. This is going to be epic. We're finally going to get some awesome sauce coming into this trilogy, and they're not going to royally fuck it. Pardon my language. But speaking of, uh, every time I swear now, I just think to Nicolas Cage and the history of swear words. Uh, if you haven't watched this on Netflix, it's awesome. Uh, but getting back to that, it's just, oh, they had so many opportunities, and they just botched it like every way they possibly could. Uh, thankfully, they have made Revan canon. Uh, unfortunately, they're doing the High Republic right now, and it'd be great if they could do the Old Republic. Uh, but we'll see. We're getting a little off topic, but it, it's important stuff right here that we're talking about. I, I think it's a great way to get off topic and end it. And next episode, we can talk about, um, I don't know, future hiring practices and why Game of Thrones ruined oh, it in the end. God. How do you ruin a show that you built up to be so epic? I don't know. I don't care anymore. What should we do? Should we make it like 30 episodes? Well, HBO is basically throwing money at us. Yeah, but I'm bored. Let's just make it six episodes and very confusing because none of these plot lines actually fit in the time that we're giving them. That sounds great. And with that, we hope that you come back to our next episode to hear what Adam really thinks about Game of Thrones. And thank you for listening to, uh, to the, I almost said the Gray and Gold podcast. That's a completely different one. Follow the hummingbird.